Hey everyone, Fraser here. So as you probably know, there's been a announcement in physics, the muon G minus two experiment, and it's fairly technical, a lot of, of insider information in the particle physics community. And so I decided this is the perfect time to reach out to an expert, bring in a bigger brain. And in this case, I called on my good friend, Dr. Paul Sutter. You might know him as, as Ask a Spaceman, um, but actually he is also uh, quite knowledgeable as a particle physicist. And so he was able to explain the G minus two experiment to me and help us sort of put the whole discovery into context. So I hope this helps you understand what has been discovered and what this means for the field of physics. All right, here's the interview. All right. Okay, we're live. Yay. Yay, we did it. That was uh, we did it. so much technology. Um, so many buttons. <laughs> so, so many buttons that I had to press. Um, hey, Paul, how's it going? Pretty awesomely. How about you, Fraser? It's going really well. We haven't actually talked in a well, we've talked on the interwebs, but we haven't actually talked in person for a while. So No, like mono and mono. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've not yeah. it's been too long. How's how's the COVID going? It's a disaster in Canada. It's Oof. an absolute nightmare. Yeah, no, we're we are um they're vaccinating uh sixty five year olds. Oh, so you're eligible. I'm just, I'm just eligible. Yeah. Um, no, my dad just got his first vaccination. He's going to nice. come back and, and get his next one. But but we're experiencing uh, a worse, probably the worst outbreak. Like if every other country you see sort of they're starting to tail down now. Right, with the right. vaccine. No, we're as high as we've ever been and, and higher. No, we've uh, oh, just like the situation in a lot of Europe, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ontario's been has gone for its third complete lockdown. Um, oh. Yeah, it's a it's super bad. It's it's I, I've talked about this that we you know, a lot of the time we feel like we're a, a version of America. But then every now and then you realize that we are you know, there's a border, it separates us, we're not like you, mm -hmm. and we are the customer. And so we're sort of like patiently watching <laughs> as you guys are all done vaccinating each other. Right, then, right, right. And then maybe you'll ship some over the border and we can buy some. Have have, have anyone set up like very cruel uh, vaccination clinics just on our side of the border so you can watch like 16 year olds getting shots <laughs> yeah, in their no. arms? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we would if we could leave the house, but we're not allowed to. So, you know, there would be no audience for that. But uh, yep. I got my shot on Saturday, my first shot of Pfizer. Your first shot. Okay. All right. How are the uh, the side effects? Mm. I felt kind of crappy uh, yeah. all day, but that's, you know, like a normal Saturday for me. Yeah, so exactly. it wasn't that's, much difference. That's, that's just like, uh, uh, allergies. I think I, just, yeah. I blame everything on allergies at this point. Fair. Um, yeah. Um, cool. Well, so for people who don't know who you are, who are you? I am Dr. Paul Sutter. I'm an astrophysicist at the Institute for Advanced Computational Science at Stony Brook University in the Flatiron Institute in New York City. And I host TV shows. I write books. I do podcasts. Uh, and whenever Fraser tells me to show up, I show up. <laughs> right. And vice versa. And vice versa. I'm, I'm, here, yeah. for, I'm here for you as well. Um, the, but the, I think the thing that most people don't know is that you are as much particle physicist as you are astrophysicist cosmologist aren't you uh, yeah like, like uh the the best thing about astrophysics and cosmology is it encompasses so many cool areas of physics and so um in order to understand some of the highest energy processes happening in the universe you have to understand 
high energy processes. And so that is high energy physics. So there's so much intersection uh, between the worlds of particle physics and cosmology. And so I wanted to bring you on to help explain the the, the muon G minus two experiment that's that's happened. Yep. Um, have you have you sort of prepared? Have you done this several times so far? <laughs> how many how many of these have you done? So far. No, no, this is my first. Oh, is this I your just, first? Okay. I, I was on vacation last week, actually. Right. And so, like, all the news is happening, and it's like, I am just on vacation. I need a vacation. Yeah. I need to just chill out and stare at a wall for a week uh, and not talk about science. But now I'm ready to yeah. go. All right. So, I'm going to help you workshop your muon g minus two experiment explainer my pitch my elevator yeah. pitch yeah exactly yeah yeah you got you got 15 seconds go no um all right <laughs> so then i guess where do you want where would you normally start with this i'm, I'm interested to see where let's where start with you... the muon okay like who who cared how all of a sudden we care about the yeah. muon yeah well there's <laughs> no a lot of particles knew. there's a lot of particles out there yeah there's a lot of particles out there. It's a whole messy zoo out there. It's crazy. Uh, why we care about the muon, or first the, what the muon is, it's exactly like an electron except heavier. That's it. It's heavier. It's heavier. It's yeah. heavier than an electron. But because is an electron it like could I could I power my computer with muons? Yeah, but good luck with that. Like, you know, seriously, like a muon, it has uh, the same electric charge, the same spin, yep. uh, the, the same, it, it's, it's all the same, except it's heavier. And so because it's heavier, right. you could in principle build a computer out of it, but good luck because uh, it decays very, to. very quickly. I these, are, these are just details. My point is I could jam muons through a wire, a, a, a beefy wire, um, mm -hmm. and, and compute through and gates and yep. power my home of the future with the electric charge carried by muons it is with the muon so yeah. there you go why don't you sell that idea I'm... to elon musk and and you're good to go all right so but the downside is because they are so heavy they last uh like two microseconds this is not my problem i don't need okay to, yeah it's an yeah. engineering problem well how long does okay. an electron last like forever oh okay yeah yeah like literally yeah, they, forever. So right. So so electrons are like much better versions of muons. They've had all the bugs worked out. I mean, hey, that's a matter of perspective. We're not gonna mass shame any particles here. Yeah. Uh, just because as heavier mass than electron is just as worthy. Okay. Just as you know, it's just fine. You know, okay. We love muons. Right. How do we make them? Uh, muons come about like so. So you, so you can make electrons through all sorts of complicated nuclear interactions. Like you can slam stuff together and then electrons pop out. You can just slam other different kinds of things together and make a bunch of muons pop out. And so we have muons coming out of our jets in our particle colliders. When high energy cosmic rays strike the atmosphere, they create showers of muons. Uh, it, it's one of the many, many things that come out in these complex uh, particle interactions. Okay, so I think we've we've set I guess we've put a, a bookmark on what the muon is yep. and that it's different from the electron and so on. Why is this the particle that the physicists have been experimenting with? Because um, we're, we're very interested in a particular property of electrons and muons. And there's even an, an, an even heavier sibling called the tau and we're not gonna talk about the tau right now. But we're, we're interested in a particular property uh, called the magnetic moment. 
And this is in the physics world, this is labeled as G. I have no idea why. I guess we ran out of all the other letters. Why so we just are call there it G. Strange quarks. Like, yeah, why not? Physicists yeah. should not be in charge of naming things. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So we just call the magnetic moment G. And the magnetic moment of these particles is is essentially it's it's the particle's response to a magnetic field. Like if you shove an electron through a magnetic field, how does that electron like feel about the magnetic field around it? How strongly does it interact right. with it? Same for the muon. How strongly does it interact? And so when I build my, my muon computer, mm -hmm. I'll need to build proper bracing on my wires to handle how the muon's going to handle being jammed around the different circuitry of my muon computer. Exactly, exactly. And that's what this uh, latest experiment is, is it's a giant muon uh, blaster that's shooting out a bunch of muons and then they put it in a giant ring and, and watch how they behave uh, under these strong magnetic fields. And G is it doing what it's supposed to. You just go like it's 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 not, and so that no, but just in general, like that's thing. why it's the G. I guess that's like I know what's been detected is different from what it was expected, but G is the number they put to it. Right, right. So that's what we're trying to measure. What right. is the G of the muon? Right now, when you now you can calculate this number theoretically, and then you can measure this number experimentally, and so that's what you you want these things to match up. You want the theoretical prediction to match up with the experimental observation. Right. When you do a very simple, naive, unsophisticated uh, prediction of what G should be, you get the number two mm -hmm. in whatever units, I forget what the units are. It's probably dimensionless. It's just two. Two. When you do a more sophisticated analysis and you really dig in, you see it's like two and a little bit. So what we're really interested in is measuring that little bit, mm -hmm. which is G minus two. Right, and that's why it's G minus two. That's um, why it's called G minus two because yeah. we're interested in measuring that tiny, tiny, tiny little difference away from two. Yeah, and it's it's funny you uh, like knowing whether or not it's G is is it G two or is it G minus two, and it you know that's how that's what really separates us is if we know how to properly say that's G how, minus that's two. That's the shibboleth. Yeah, that's, that's it. exactly. That's how you can tell people are in the know. That's the secret <laughs> passcode. Is you like G minus two? All right. So physicists are trying to detect this 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 little bit this remainder mm -hmm. and the but the the theorists had predicted a number for this right yes they predicted the remainder uh, the remainder is not a surprise right right exactly we knew it was a little bit away from two we've already done this experiment for the electron and the theoretical calculations and the experimental uh, uh observations all matched up it was like two plus a little bit and everyone was happy. Right. But then we said, well, let's do it on the muon because, hey, this should work. Uh, and now it's looking like it might not work. And so I guess with the electron standard model lived up to the to the theory, to, to the hype, to the hype. Yeah. Everything's fine. But the because the muon, it has is so much more massive sort of smashes into the smashes its way around the particle accelerator it's easier to notice additional shifts from what you're predicting from the from the theory 
Yeah, yeah. These these the difference away from two is a little bit stronger. Uh, your experimental setup, you're exactly right. Because the muon is heavier, there are more interactions, uh, and so so this gives you a, a different window into the world of the standard model. And so, what did the experimenters, really the heroes of the story, find? So the experiment, the latest experiment, which was done at Fermilab. Um, there was an older experiment from 15 years ago over at Brookhaven where they ran this giant experiment for like two years, collected a mountain of data because you're looking for very, very tiny little things. They collected this mountain of data, found a difference between what they uh, were measuring and what the standard model had predicted. Everyone's like, wow, this is weird. I wish we had more money and we don't. So we'd like to replicate it. We'd like to build a whole new apparatus, but that's kind of expensive. So let's take the entire like uh, magnetic confinement ring, our, our muon box, and move it over to Fermilab. And Fermilab can pump even more muons into it, and we can measure this again. And so the new measurement over at Fermilab confirms the one from 15 years ago. And so here we have now 15 years, uh, two somewhat independent experiments. It's not a completely perfect replication, but it sounds pretty close, where an experimental result is disagreeing with the prediction from the standard model. And has this happened before? Yes and no. Or there, to this level of precision, to this many signals. To, to this level of precision, no, like they're always you run an experiment and there's some weird anomaly. There's something you don't understand. Uh, you know, there's some disagreement, but then you keep running it and then it just kind of swings back and it all goes away. And that's that's why this uh, result, this G minus two measurement is so interesting is because the standard model has held up for like six, seven decades. And it's been experimentally verified over and over and over and over again. In fact, the electron G minus two measurement, uh, I've read that it's the most accurate or most precise measurement ever performed in human history. Yeah. And so like, yay. But we also know the standard model is incomplete. We know it's not done. We know there it does not perfectly explain how, how the do whole we know that universe. How do we know that? Right? Uh, because, it's done. Uh, found they found the Higgs boson. Every piece. I mean, sure, it's a, it's a horrible mess, but it, it's a nasty mess. Yeah, but, but nature it is can be incomplete. a mess. How, how do we, we know, know it's incomplete? incomplete? Yeah, we know it's incomplete because of the mass of the neutrino is not predicted by the standard model. Uh, dark matter, whatever the heck dark matter is, is not one of the standard model, model particles. And yet it's most um, things. Uh, we do not have a quantum theory of gravity. So like, like there are, uh, we do not have theories of like supersymmetry. Like, like there is a list of things that the standard model can't do. Right. And so we know that it's incomplete and yet it just refuses to have any chip in its armor. Exactly. So we know it's incomplete, but we don't know what is complete and we don't have any experimental leverage to propel us to something that could be complete. So if this G minus two experiment holds up right. and there really is no way for the standard model to explain this result, which is still ambiguous. I, I want to get into the theory a little bit. Yep. Now it's yep. not as uh, airtight, uh, but if we can't explain the result, 
then now we need to come up with a way to explain that result, which will by definition be an extension of the standard model and maybe propel us to some new understanding of physics. So how good is this result? How accurate? In term, like, you know, uh, I, I don't know the accuracy off oh, the top 4. of my head. Sigma, sorry. I was going to, oh, was, oh yeah, was okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know the decimal places, but yeah, the, the disagreement between theory and experiment is 4.2 uh, standard deviations, right. which is pretty high. There's some arbitrary standards out there like five Sigma well, what uh, does, to claim a detection. What does 4.2 mean? So like, if I say like, like when I say, oh, this has 4.2 standard deviations, if I'm going to tell someone that that's a good result or a bad result, in sort of statistical terms, what am I saying? It's something, I, I don't know the precise number off the top of my head, but it's something like um, getting this result by pure random chance, it, you only have like a one in, I don't know, like 100,000. Right, okay. Uh, a uh, probability of getting this result from purely random chance. Right. Okay. Okay. So it, it would be as if you won the lottery to get this to get this result. And... Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's supremely unlucky, and so we tend to think the difference is not because of random chance, but because there's an actual real difference. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. So then I'd like to get into then what this means. What what does what does I mean if this measurement is different from what the theory is is suggesting, what are the implications for the standard model? Yeah, there are th there are three possible implications. One is there's something wrong with the experiment that we don't fully understand. And because they replicate, they reused a lot of the gear from the original Brookhaven uh, experiment, that's still like that's still a possibility. This wasn't a pure replication. Right. If so that, like, that would be like the neutrino yeah. going faster than the speed of light. Yeah, that well, that was that was just a cable that right. wasn't plugged right. in all well, the, the point way. being, well, but you like, could take that bad cable to the new instrument yes. and plug it in. Exactly. And, and you're like, oh, if the grad student doesn't plug in the cable the same way again, you're going to get the same result. So if there's some gnome inside of the right. magnetic confinement chamber that's like poking at the muons, you haven't gotten rid of that gnome. Yes. I hate gnomes. That seems in particle physics. I got to say, that seems super likely to me. I mean, I'm sure they've tried to remove everything. I mean, every... my mantra, my personal mantra of it's interesting is probably wrong. Yeah. The most boring explanation is that there's something off about the experiment itself. Yeah. Yes. But okay, okay, the experiment is the, is the experiment. If we really do understand the uncertainties of the statistics, the systematics to the level we say we do, then we have to go with it and we have to explore other options. So okay, okay. even though that's the most boring explanation, let, let's talk about the others. Okay, but I'm going to ask you to place uh, your bets at the end. But yeah, please, let's continue. Okay, fair. Yeah. The next place you can go is that the, the standard model predictions for this value for G minus two are exceedingly difficult to make. This is not just like, oh, like, let's figure or work out the math on our chalkboards. This is a, a complicated bootstrap process where you make one measurement of something else related to muons, plug that into a calculation, run a simulation, do a bunch of analysis, do another experiment to fill in another gap, and then get yourself up to this theoretical prediction. 
there are a lot of things that can go wrong in that calculation. There are a lot of things that we don't fully understand. There are a lot of things that we have to approximate in order to get that, um, that estimate for right. G minus two. And so there might be little things going wrong, especially if no one has really worked on this problem in 15 or 20 years where the Brookhaven result came out and you're like, oh, that's weird. Well, let's, let's, let's keep working on something else while, while those Brookhaven fellas and, and right. ladies uh, figure out what's going wrong. Um, and then 15 years later, it's now verified by Fermilab. And you're like, oh, whoops, we actually haven't updated any of our right. calculations uh, from, from 15, 20 years ago. And so, so like literally somebody forgot to carry the two while they were doing the math that predicts the outcome. Yes, right. I, that's that's perfectly possible, especially the muons interaction with the strong force, which influences this G minus two answer, is very complicated, not well understood, and right. there are possibilities there for uh, miscalculations, misunderstanding, leaving out something that turns out to be important. Like the, the electron G minus two uh, calculation involves something like 10,000 Feynman diagrams. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And so you can imagine that, that, that at some point someone made the prediction um, that peer review peer review somebody didn't catch the the mistake in the math uh there yeah. hasn't been a lot of emphasis placed on looking over these papers with a fine-tooth comb and and here we are with a final number that's just like the prediction number is wrong and if so if people go yeah. back through and it doesn't even have papers, exactly yeah it doesn't even have to be a mistake it could just be we made a reasonable set of approximations to get to this result and it turns out those reasonable approximations aren't good enough we don't need ten thousand di Feynman diagrams we need ten thousand and one Feynman right. diagrams yes so so okay so uh a problem with the machine, a mistake in the calculation of the prediction. Um, those are boring. Those are boring. Yeah, yeah. So what's the what? So now get to the good stuff. The good stuff is new physics. What new physics? We we have no idea. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, somebody's got to have an idea. Nobody like what does it? What does it mean? Well, here's the thing. We have no consistent theory, working theory of physics beyond the standard model. Right. The standard model calculations themselves took years of people in like intense resources just to get the G minus two prediction. If you have your own idea of what is causing this anomalous result, it's going to take a fully consistent theory and years of, of resources and dedication and hard work in order to match that prediction or the, sorry, match the observation. But there is, I mean, there is a dam filled with theories, papers that have been published, people, theorists that have been working to try to extend the standard model mm -hmm. in every conceivable way you can imagine. Does this help alleviate the logjam and give people a direction to go forward? Absolutely. And this is why people get so excited by something like G minus two, because you can sit here as a theorist spinning your wheels for decades, like coming up with cool ideas and new interactions and new forces and new couplings and, and on and on and on and on. But as long as the standard model holds up to experiment, you can't do anything with it. 
But now there's something potentially that breaks the standard model in a very obvious community agreed upon way. And so now your goal is to take your favorite pet theory for that you wrote up in 1997 and see if you can use it to explain the discrepancy in G minus two. And what do we do with that next then? I mean, if you, so, so like you wrote a paper and you're like, why won't anybody listen to me? Why do they keep putting me in an assailant asylum? They're, the G minus two experiment is not going to find what they're expecting um, because I'm predicting the mu Reno, whatever. Yeah. Any of these new theories yeah. or, or old theories that have yet to be uh, realized, yeah. if they can explain the G minus two discrepancy, there's going to be other things about them. There might be some new particles floating around in the universe, some new forces, some new interactions. And then because it, because that theory is now able to explain the G minus two, we can take it a lot more seriously. We can focus on a little a little bit right. more. We can work a little bit harder and then look for other predictions and confirm it. And then if the theory continues to succeed and make new predictions and agree with the experiment, then we can update right. our, our view of physics. So the, uh, so, for example, I've decided that the muon has a subparticle, the murino, that mm -hmm. is like a tiny, it's a fraction of the mass of the muon and is uh, sort of pops out of it every fraction of a second and then is reabsorbed by it. And together, the two of them cause a bigger uh, magnetic moment than just the muon alone. That there you go. Did it? it yeah, you can do that. And then and there's going to the be a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. There's going to be a lot of math to go along with that. And we use the math to make other predictions about how the universe should behave at these energies and scales. And we can go out and test that. And then, yay, we've discovered a new particle or a new force. And, um, you know, physics marches on. So then what comes next? Do you figure um, somebody is going to, like, how do we know if this, which of those is the is the case? I think what comes next is a deluge of theoretical papers <laughs> describing the G minus two result. I, I already came up with mine, so I should just throw it in the mix. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like it's going to flood the archive. It, it will provide headlines for you for at yep. least a year. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be tons of theoretical papers. There's going to be more analysis from the Fermilab team. This was only their first batch of data. They are continuing their analysis. They have more data to crunch through. Uh, they will provide an update in like six months or a year. The difference might go away. Mm -hmm. It might get stronger. It might stay the same. Meanwhile, physicists are also going to really poke at these results. We're going to really dig into the experiment, the systematic uncertainty. Uh, do we really understand this experiment the way we think we understand this experiment? Is it really operating when we tell it to go? Is it really going when we tell it to stop? Is it really stopping? So there's going to be a lot of poking and prodding at that Fermilab experimental setup. This might drive some funding over the next few years to do a G minus two patois experiment, maybe with a new magnetic box for the muons to hang out in. 
uh, because if this is legit and it's interesting, it's worth investing in. And, and we should see if we can truly replicate this. There might be an experiment in like Europe or, or China or India that have the capabilities to try to replicate this on their own. So it's like what comes next is just more science. But the, I mean, right now, particle physicists are at this at this fork in the road where they're trying to figure out what to do beyond the large hadron collider. I don't know if the if you could adapt this experiment into the into the LHC or you need a very specific setup like the one they have at, at Brookhaven. But but I mean, you know, they're talking about essentially just building a, a bigger particle accelerator and then just smashing particles together and just like looking through the rubble to just find anything, which is not a super productive way to move forward from this point on. Does the does this sort of show up at the right moment to go, let's try this instead? Yeah, I think it does actually. You know, the LHC was designed, uh, you're right, to smash things together and look through the rubble, but it was designed no, with to two find things the in Higgs mind. boson. Yeah. yeah, find the Higgs boson and also to find evidence for supersymmetry, which was our theorists' best guess as to what came after the standard model. Higgs boson, yay, Nobel Prizes everywhere. Supersymmetry, nada. Mm -hmm. they, there was zero evidence for supersymmetry at the Large Hadron Collider. So big particle collider experiments like this do have an uncertain future because they're not doing the thing that we built them to do. Mm -hmm. And so now there is more of a case for smaller, more dedicated, instead of general purpose colliders, well, let's build something that just spits out muons. Let's let's do some, let's uh, look for more neutrinos. Let's, let's go hyper-focused because that's where the interesting edges of the standard model might be now. And then scale up any of those experiments that seem to be delivering the results. Yeah, scale them up, run them longer, run two of them that are built by different teams. Uh, before we jump into the standard model of particle physics is broken bandwagon, we got to be really sure about it. Right, right. And so, I mean, you know, as I mentioned, you know, with the do any does do you know and, and maybe this is going to sort of be outside your your purview do you know if if this result in any way relates to any predictions for supersymmetry i'm sure the supersymmetrists will be jumping all over it it's going to be very very hard because large swaths of supersymmetry have already been ruled out supersymmetry is more of a class of ideas rather than a specific concept and but law the vast majority of supersymmetry models have already been ruled out so if you want your supersymmetry model the one you wrote up in 1997 if you wanted to explain the muon g minus 2 result you also have to confront the fact that it didn't show up at the LHC and that's going to, it's totally possible to do it, but you're going to have to do some real stretching uh, and distorting in order to get that to work. Yeah. Cool. Um, I want to give uh, the audience a chance to answer questions and I think we'll, we'll let you go. Um, All right, let's do it. Um, so Arjon asks, does the muon make, uh, what, what makes the muon better than the electron? Would the tau offer any advantages? You actually did table the tau. So maybe we can bring it back onto the table. 
Uh, the muon has a few advantages, like we mentioned. Uh, it's heavier. Uh, the interactions with the strong force are a little bit more opaque and harder to understand. So this is a good place to push on the standard model. The tau is even heavier, so it has an even shorter lifetime. It's even harder per to produce. And so you don't get the volume of data that you get from a muon experiment. So muon is like this good middle ground between right. I can push on the boundary of physics and I can get a lot of data. Right. Um, and so the tau, so, but, but I'm guessing like if you could tame the tau, it would have show an even more forceful moment as it's grinding around your machine. Yeah, it's it's, but it's, it's trickier G to minus control. two measurement. Yeah, exactly. Like if you could produce a bajillion towels, it has its own interactions with the forces of nature. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, potentially larger discrepancy. As far as I'm aware, we haven't dug as deep into the G minus two calculation of the tau as we have for the muon and the electron. Right, right. Awesome. All right. Well, Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, what are you working on that people should come and uh, and enjoy? Uh, hey, you should check out uh, Discovery Channel and Discovery Plus a streaming service. Um, I'm part of a wonderful show called How the Universe Works, which premiered uh, three weeks ago and new episodes are dropping every week. It's a real fun adventure through the cosmos. Um, my book is still available for sale, How to Die in Space. Uh, big news, we have, uh, it's gonna get translated into Chinese, Russian, and Polish, and hopefully more to come. Uh, so that's gonna be fun. I can't wait that's to awesome. see what those covers look like. And just doing the fun podcast, YouTube writing thing. Fantastic. Well, uh, stay safe, uh, get your next vaccine on time. And uh, I look forward to being able to hang out again in person at some point in the future. That sounds like fun. All right, man. Take care. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Uh, now I got to find the button. There it is.